0: Hello, chefs. This is Chef's PSA podcast. I'm your host, Andre Natera. On today's episode, we're going to talk about the critical path to changing your menu. Stay tuned. This episode of Chef's PSA is sponsored by j Grills and Smokers. Many of you have heard of JR Smokers and Grills that typically last for decades. I've had the pleasure of using them for over five years at one of the top restaurants in Austin. They're beautiful. They gave me the control over technique and the smoke infused flavors I wanted. I'm thrilled to have j as a sponsor. Their commitment over the past 50 years speaks for itself. They understand your passion because it fuels them too, barbecue or upscale cuisine. They always help you deliver. They build everything in Texas and ship to all 50 states and over 50 countries. J and R, they'll stand with you. They've always stood with me. Go to jrmanufacturing.com to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Before we get into it, if you haven't already, go get the 50 Most Important Chef's PSAs. It's a free ebook. It's available on chefspsa.com along with the other free ebooks. Think of it as your training manual. It's a companion to another podcast I did, The 50 Most Important Chef's PSAs. It's basically what I think every cook should know when they go into a new kitchen it's the basics. If you don't have an employee training manual, you're welcome. The next thing I'm working on immediately is I'm going to turn that into an audio book. So for those of you that don't like to read with your eyes and you prefer to read with your ears, I'll have that done in the next few weeks. I just need to sit down and record it, but I'm busy recording this podcast. So I'll get that out pretty quick. One other announcement for those of you that use OpenAI or fans of AI, I recently created my first app on OpenAI, ChatGPT, you could find it. It's called Food Cost Oracle, a little nod to the matrix. I've loaded it with information on managing food cost, how I think about food cost, mitigation strategies. It has the information from the books that I've written, the Food Cost Mastery Guide, along with that three podcast series, as well as things that I have that are boring that I wouldn't publish from when I was a chef and things that I used to manage food costs. So you could talk to it if you need food cost information, if you need spreadsheets, it could create spreadsheets and you could download them and turn them into Excel files directly from the app. So it's worth checking out. If you don't know where to begin to manage your food costs, the food cost Oracle is there to be your guide. It's a, it's a smarter version of me because it's me plus AI. Anyway, we digress. Let's get into the show today. I want to talk about menu changes and the critical path, which you have to take when you're changing menus. So I think I'm, I think first and foremost, we should probably explain what a critical path is because maybe you've never heard that term. So if you haven't heard that term, a critical path is basically the steps in order, which you take to make something happen. So a critical path to opening up a restaurant would be the steps from one to 10 to open up the restaurant. The steps in a critical path to changing a menu is all the important things that need to be done. From beginning to end, to make sure you have a successful menu change. That's what a critical path is. So, when we're talking about a critical path, that's what it is. If you're not familiar with that term, boom, now you are. You're welcome. Add it to the lexicon of culinary jargon that you already use. And I should say, you don't need a critical path to change a menu. There's a lot of restaurants out there with different styles, and it's not a one size fits all. What I'm gonna give you is what I deem the important steps to change a menu for most restaurants. It's not going to work in every restaurant. You may work in the type of restaurant where you change the menu every day. You go to the farm, you go to the farmer's market, you come back with a basket and you say, this is what it is. You may work in the type of restaurant where the menu never changes and everything in between. Some places are just change the menu because you feel like it with no critical path needed. Other places are you better not ever change the menu no matter how good you think your dish is. This episode is to give you a critical path if you need one and what the process may look like in order to be successful and to think about all the variables that may come up when changing a menu and to make sure that you're making good, educated decisions. First and foremost, and I'm not going to cover this in the entire episode, but I think there should be foundational groundwork as to what type of restaurant you're running. You should have guardrails or parameters that describe the type of restaurant. So, for example, maybe it's time and place. Seasonality and modern American or modern Mexican, whatever the case may be. Maybe it's a specific town in Mexico. Let's say you're cooking food from Oaxaca or the Yucatan. Well, then it makes sense that the dishes that you're creating are inspired by that. So putting up the guardrails is first and foremost. Those guardrails are important. To use an extreme example, you have this Yucatan restaurant. You're not going to say, hey, I got this really good idea for this Thai curry. It wouldn't make sense. And I know that's a stupid example. But you'd be surprised how many menu meetings I've been in for very specific types of restaurant and the chefs that are contributing ideas like, hey, I got this really good idea for the Italian restaurant. What do you think about enchiladas? I'm like, enchiladas? Like an enchilada pizza? What are you thinking? Get it together, chefs. Don't make me have to say what everyone's thinking. Anyway, we digress. Put up the guardrails first when you're designing the menu. Understand what it is that your concept and your brand is. Also understand what your limits are. Is there food cost restrictions? Do you need to increase sales? Do you need to have items on the menu that are less expensive? Do you need to have items on the menu that are more expensive because you need to raise revenues or you need to cut cost? You need to understand that. Can your team execute it? You shouldn't put dishes on the menu that you're the only one that could pull it off. Because if you're the only one that could pull it off, but you do none of the cooking, then why is it on the menu? It doesn't matter that you're a great chef. Everyone on the team has to be able to do it. So also have to think about that. Don't let your ego get too wrapped up in the food. This is the downfall of a lot of chefs because they want to do something that they could do, but no one else on the team can pull off. I've talked about this at length. You're setting yourself up for a failure around the corner. It's funny. Chefs are artists. They want to create. They want to express themselves. They want to show what they can do. And sometimes their first instinct as a chef is to be creative and flex and show what you can do and create these wonderful, beautiful dishes. But on the opposite end, you work for an owner who's a capitalist. It's capitalists hiring artists. And then they wonder why the relationship between chef and owner doesn't work out. Because you have one person who owns the restaurant that wants to make money, and they're not in it for the art. They're in it to be a restaurant owner. And then you have another person who's not in it to make the restaurant money. They're in it for the art. It's not always the case, but it happens a lot more frequently than you realize. People sometimes comment on my chef's PSA page. I'm not in it to make money. Who's in it to make money? I was like, well, it's a business. Someone's in it to make money. Otherwise the restaurant wouldn't be open because if it was just in it for the craft, you would just be cooking at home or with your friends. So somewhere along the line, someone said they could make money doing this because it's doubtful that someone just feels like creating a playground for chefs. Maybe it happens. I don't think it does. Back to the critical path. Once you've identified what the guardrails are, there has to be steps in place to create the menu. The first thing I do is I look at menu abstracts, P-mix, product mix, basically, knowing what's selling, what's not selling. You don't want to take something off the menu that's a moneymaker and replace it with something that's not. What are the margins like? What are your workhorses? This is called menu engineering, and there's a lot of applications that could do this for you. You could download menu engineering tools. You could make your own on an excel spreadsheet if you're good at making spreadsheets Shit, maybe the food cost oracle could do that i'm not even sure if i've pushed it to that limit where it could create menu engineering it might not be it might be beyond its ai capabilities but anyway you want to look at the menu abstracts and understand what your movers are and what's not moving the best thing to do is look at the items that are not performing and either get them to perform by making them more attractive or replace them with something that will perform the items that are selling you want to make sure that they're profitable And if they're not, make them more profitable because they are selling, or don't touch them. Don't fuck it up. It's making money. People like it. Everyone comes back for this one dish, regardless if you like it or not. Back to the business aspect of it. You have to be a good steward of the business. And sometimes we lose sight of the stewardship which we are given to maintain a profitable business as chefs. We get too caught up in the creative. Not that that's not important because it is, but it's a balance. If you go, To one extreme or the other, something suffers. You can't be so creative that the business suffers and you can't be so much about the bottom line and profitability that the food suffers. It's about finding the balance and every restaurant is different. So it's important to know where you're at. It's not a one size fits all. Once you've reviewed your P-mix, next thing you wanna do is get some ideas on paper. Draft up your menu, write things down, brainstorm, meet with the chefs. Have your menu meetings, maybe run some items as specials to test them out and get feedback from the staff to see how difficult it is to execute the dish on the line, to see if it moves or not. One of the things that I've done recently, I'm consulting with someone and I'm r- helping them write their menu. And once the menu was written, actually yesterday on Chef's PSA Instagram page, I put up photos and people had to guess whether they were AI or not. And uh, I would say it was about 50 50. Most people couldn't get them, or at least they couldn't get all of them. What I do right now is I I use AI. I use it as a tool because it is a tool. And I'm I'm waving the AI flag. I got an app on open AI. And I think chefs need to embrace this. And here's what I did. So once the menu was written, I went into MidJourney, which is an AI image generating program. And I would type in the menu item. And I would say maybe plated by a very artistic chef. And it would give me an image of what that dish may look like and it give in Midjourney, for example it gives you four images so i'd say okay let's scale this one up now i could use that as plating inspiration or i could use it as something i could give to the chef and say hey here's an idea this is what it looks like for those people that are visual learners versus people who just like to read the menu where some people want to see what it may look like so it's also a good idea now with your ai tools you could take your menu ideas pop those into mid-journey, print it out. Now you have a starting point. Now that you've written your menu and you've tested it and everyone's done their tastings and you've critiqued it, and it's really important when you're critiquing food, and I've critiqued tons of dishes, is to remove your ego from it and taste it. Ultimately, does it taste good? That's all that matters. Is it pretty? Yeah, who cares? Does it taste good? You could make it pretty. You could make it pretty after it tastes good versus before it tastes good. One of the things that I do, as I taste something and I think of it like the volume dial when you're listening to music. If, if it's too loud, you can't appreciate the music. And if it's too low, you can't hear it. Well, you're looking for that sweet spot so the music just sounds good to you. And that's what I think about when I'm tasting the salt and the acidity and the sweetness and the balance and the heat. And I'll communicate with chefs is like, okay, turn the salt up a little bit, turn the acid down a little bit or turn the acid up a little bit turn the heat up by 2 etc Because what I'm looking for when I taste something is balance. You want a well-balanced dish. Is there enough texture? And so on. Then you want to make sure it's visually appealing. You want to make sure that the cooks can execute it and everyone can pull it off during a busy service. If you have limited space on the stove for pots and pans, you don't want a dish that has five saute pans. You maybe only want one. If you don't have a lot of time to plate the dish, then you don't want a lot of touch points. Again, these are all the things that you need to think about. Once the menu's written and you've tested the dishes, you want to get all the final approvals by all the stakeholders that might be restaurant owners, GMs, whoever you need to get it approved by, get it approved by them. Make sure they're all on the same page. You may have to do a tasting for them. But you want to make sure you have everyone's blessing and we all agree that this is the menu that we're going with moving forward. Then you're going to decide on the start date, the launch date. I always recommend launching your menu early in the week when it's slow. So you have a few days to build up some reps. Versus launching it on like Prime Friday or Saturday service, which I've done before because sometimes I've had to and it's not fun. The best case scenario is you're closed for a few days and you open. So let's just say you're the type of restaurant that closes on Sunday, new menu starts on Monday. That would be ideal. It gives everyone the opportunity to get comfortable with it. You want to make sure that your cooks have all the tools that they need to execute the menu. That means the costing is done, the recipes are done, there's photographs, menu syllabus, The service team has the markings, the pairings. You've done training. They've tasted it. They know how to sell it. There's a story behind each dish that they could speak to intelligently. You've quizzed them. You've given them menu quizzes. So not only is the culinary team trained on how to execute it, but the service team is also trained on how to sell it and serve it. Are there finishing table touches? Do you have to fillet the Dover sole at the table, well, they probably need to know how to do that. Are you serving a souffle? Well, then they probably know how to pour the anglaise or the ice cream with it. Are they doing some salt bay action and carving the steak and sprinkling a little salt? I don't know, but whatever it is that they have to do, they need to make sure that they know how to do it and you've given them the tools to do it. Do you have all the equipment? Is it ordered? For example, you have a new presentation that requires a specific plate. Are the plates here? Well, this is something that you have to think about. Once you have the start date, you need to make sure that you have all your menus printed. Someone's vetted them. You've read them. You've checked the spelling. You've checked the pricing. You make sure everything is correct. Again, I would copy and paste a menu and have OpenAI read it just to make sure there's no spelling or grammar errors and to pick it apart. Make sure all your digital collateral is updated. Make sure you have photos ready to go to social media when it's time to start promoting it or doing a little teaser. As you're getting close to menu launch, are all your menus updated in the point of sale system? The pricing is correct. You'd be surprised how many restaurants change their menu and forget to change the pricing and the POS. And it goes months before anyone catches that you've been giving away your steak for $5 less than you should have because you forgot to change it when you changed the menu. Have you updated all your online systems, open table or wherever else you're taking reservations, talk or resi, whatever? Have you trained all your partners? Do you partner with hotel concierge? Do you need to get them in to come try your menu so that they could sell it to the hotel guests that are asking for places to eat locally? Do you have an influencer campaign for a sneak peek or any media that you need to bring in? Maybe you need to invite me from Chef's PSA to come try your new snack menu. I like snacks. Did you update your private PDR menus to make sure that you're not serving the old menu? Have you called your clients To make sure they know you have a new menu and it's been updated all that needs to be in place and you should have a point of contact who's responsible for it what i do is i do create a critical path and i assign all these things to someone so we know that the marketing team is doing this our pr firm is doing that our chefs are doing this the restaurant gm is doing that everyone has a role to play in rolling out a new menu now granted that is if you're using a critical path like i said some people just change it it's not working today change it tomorrow And a lot of restaurants live and die daily by sales. So you might not have time to wait to change a menu based on a, you know, three week critical path, because if you don't make a decision today, you might not have a restaurant tomorrow. It's not a one size fits all. Make sure you use your chef intelligence on what is the right thing for you to do. One last thing I should, I should mention again, not all restaurants are the same, but if you have a formula that's working for you, for example, you have a duck dish, you have a chicken dish, you have a beef dish. And it works in your restaurant, but you are seasonal. You don't necessarily have to blow it up. You might just change the sets on those dishes. So for example, in the winter, you're doing your chicken with winter vegetables, maybe some brassicas or whatever. And it comes to spring. You just might be updating that with morels and peas and asparagus, but it's the same method in which you prepare the chicken. So you're just updating the set but the chicken remains the same. So if someone comes in because they love the chicken and that was the star of the show, they could still find a very similar dish to when they came in last time. So you're just updating the plating set seasonally. That's also a good practice. Again, it th- might not apply to your restaurant, but it does apply to some. And you could plan this out for the entire year. I know that's something that I do is I could write the entire menu for the entire year and then eight weeks out, I will re- review it and make sure that I still want to stick with those ideas. So for example, I might just have a full menu writing day and write my four seasonal menus because I know what's going to be in season. I might write my Valentine's, Christmas, New Year's, Thanksgiving menus for the entire year and just say, okay, six to eight weeks out, we're going to review them and see if I want to change anything based on what I've learned. If not, we're going to stick with it. That way you're not dealing with the, oh shit, I got to write a menu. It's already done. Anyway, that's it. If you want to support the show, you know what to do. Make sure you leave five stars, nothing less than five stars. If you're on YouTube, hit the subscribe button, comment below, let me know what you think. Make sure you go to chefspsa.com, get this happy cook hat, this chef's PSA hoodie, you get all the books. If you're a new leader and you want to learn more about menu changes, I cover it in my Culinary Leadership Fundamentals book. Go get that one. See you all next week. Hit the porno music.